0: You are listening to Processing Trauma Out Loud, conversations about trauma and healing from two women who are doing the work. My name is Jeremiah Jones and I am the producer of this podcast. In this episode, Candace and Cher continue their discussion on the limbic brain and the resources they turn to in order to regulate their nervous systems. Once you discover the resources that work for you, the fear of feeling big emotions is not as scary. Though you may never eliminate all of your triggers, you begin to see them as opportunities to use your resources and ground yourself in strength, compassion, and love.
1: Hi, Cher. Hey, Candace. How are you today? <laughs> I'm doing great. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing good. I just got home from a great lunch date and I'm excited about continuing the conversation really about the limbic brain. Last week, we talked about understanding the limbic brain, and we just felt like there was more conversation that needed to happen and really why that understanding has helped us and how we use that understanding in in just practical ways.
2: Yeah, I'm excited about this podcast because we... We do, we love theory and we love all of that. I mean, we're not super technical into the research, but we love all of that. But it's also so important that we talk about the actual things that we use that have made a huge difference in our life. And that's what we're gonna talk. Last week was a little more theory. Today is gonna
1: be very practical. So I'm looking forward to this episode. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. And I I do have to mention in this lunch that I was just in, one of the things that came to me was this idea that in this work of healing from childhood trauma, you and I, and, and others that we know understand the importance of practicing and using these tools, not once a week, not twice a week, but daily. Yeah. Why is that so important?
2: Well, like I think any skill, if we want it to be available when we need it, mm-hmm. we have to practice it when we don't need it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's in the practicing it that we learn the skill. And then when we need it, when we get dysregulated, like it's there, it, it's, it's becoming more and more automatic.
1: And that's what changes the neural pathways. hmm. Yeah, I was thinking of the example that if you want to learn how to play the piano, you can practice once a week and maybe get a little bit. But if you practice every day, it it kind of starts becoming more automatic. Right. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So and I think that's even true, like the things that we talked about last week and our awareness of the way that the limbic brain works has been really meaningful for us so that when we do get dysregulated, we have that cognitive understanding of what is happening. And we talked last week a lot about the limbic brain, and we invite our listeners to go back and listen to that first, if, if you haven't. And then we talked a lot about the window of tolerance and, and what it means when what it feels like when we get dysregulated and how we want to come back into that mid-range area. And I think today we want to talk a little bit about the vagus nerve and then ways that we help help calm the vagus nerve. And do you want to just give a definition or a little explanation of what the vagus
1: nerve actually is? I will try. (laughs) It's really simple, but of course there's complexity to it, right? So the vagus nerve is actually attached at the bottom of our brain, the brainstem. The word vagus actually means wanderer. And so that that nerve kind of wanders throughout our body as and attached to different organs and different parts of our body and when we get dysregulated that nerve gets activated in our body which can look like hyperarousal or hypoarousal
2: right yeah so good and we're going to keep it simple right there i did want to share a quote from Ariel Schwartz, who is a clinical psychologist. And she said, by developing an understanding of the workings of your vagus nerve, you may find it possible to work with your nervous system rather than feel trapped when it works against you and i love that because it it's exactly the truth when when our vagus nerve gets activated we get dysregulated and if we know how to work with our vagus nerve we can bring ourselves back into that window of tolerance and what previously may have been a huge Disruption in our lives now becomes a blip on the screen, or, you know, somewhere in between. <laughs> but uh, we can roll with things easier that disrupt us because we know how to help
1: calm the vagus nerve. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm struck by her words instead of work against you. It brings up the understanding that when when it's working against us or we're really working against it that is when we feel like we don't have much control or we get in that space where we're driven by anxiety to either power up or shut down and when we work with the vagus nerve really what we're saying is is we're help bringing back calmness in our body that we can use our prefrontal cortex to think more clearly Right. Yeah.
2: And the big difference here then also is the difference between numbing versus calming. And the reason why we're talking about this is because when we don't know how to calm our vagus nerve, we learn and develop and become very skilled at things that help numb our pain so that when we get dysregulated, we just numb the pain. And there are any number of ways that we do that. And it might be through actions or distractions or chemicals or people or whatever. But if we are numbing and we will typically use the same thing over and over that works to some degree to reduce the pain or to numb the pain, and then those behaviors or those chemicals or whatever end up becoming addictions. And, and then as we go down that path of addictive behaviors, trying to help us stay in a space where we can function Mm -hmm. like an adult versus the the six-year-old that part of us that is getting disrupted, we will do those things over and over. And then that becomes an addiction. And so this is really such a key way to address our addictions. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. and we all have them. If we have childhood trauma, and even probably if you don't, but especially if you have childhood trauma, you will have things that you use to numb the pain. And so this, being aware of the vagus nerve and then learning tools that actually bring calm to the vagus nerves changes our brain. We develop the new neural pathways and we are able to show up in our adult self in a way that just changes really every aspect of life.
1: You're using the word pain when we get dysregulated. And absolutely, there's pain in that. But what another thing that came up for me is a lot of that pain is coming from feeling shame. Shame is a painful feeling. Why am I dysregulated in ways that cause me to turn to things that I know I eventually can know? This is maybe temporarily relieve this, but it's not healing it. Or we could turn to shut down. We just check out, go in our room, shut the door, whatever that looks like. And there there's shame involved in that, especially as you get older and you, you haven't encountered this kind of kindness and compassion and understanding and why we do this, the older you get, the more shame that you feel because you think chronological age means that you should have it figured out.
2: And society expects us to have it figured out because mm-hmm. of our chronological age.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: On that foundation, which again, we know is not enough, but it's a glimpse. And if people want more information, just Google things like the limbic brain, the window of tolerance, the vagus nerve. There's so much good information available now that's in the common man's language. So you don't have to be a, a neurobiologist in order to understand it. But we want to move into some of the tools that are helpful for dealing with disruptions and helping calm our vagus nerve. And then we, Candace and I are each going to share just a story of something that we have used recently that has worked for us. Candace, do you want to just kind of go through and name some of the tools? And it's endless, really, but just to give people kind of a, an idea of some of the tools that we
1: use or that can be used that are helpful in calming the vagus nerve. I want to mention that it, it's a discovery process on what does help help ourselves. What might help somebody else may not work for you. And that's okay. It just takes time. So like it's this toolbox and you like find out which tool does help you. We've talked about breathing. I think that is a part that some, it helps both of us. And I've talked a little bit about running that when I run though, my body's in a lot of motion, I start to feel more calm on the inside. But one of my growing favorite tools is what we call inner child work. Or sometimes that's hard for people to wrap their minds around. It could be doing the inner work of looking at the origin of those wounds and tending to them in a way that is very compassionate even though it may have been 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, there really is still a wound or that inner child that needs care. Mm. And that, that's been one of my go-tos for a while, but I'm just, I think I'm just seeing some really good growth and change in my level of pain and shame as I tend to, the, to my inner child. And so just yesterday... I'm driving and out of the blue, I have this thought come to me, like I need to talk to someone. And it was like, I saw a sentence in my mind and the word need was all in caps and it was just out of the blue. And it, you know, in the past, I may have thought that that was literal and tried to like, okay, I need to talk to someone. But I realized in that moment that it was kind of associated with feeling some fear over something. And so at that moment, I was able to say, oh, wait a minute, this, this is a part of that inner child, that younger place of me that's wounded And I was able to slow down and turn myself towards that place that felt like I needed to talk to someone. And I did the inner child work of just saying, I'm here. I'm here for you. I want to hear what you have to say. Now, a year, even a year and a half ago, I I was kind of confused about that, but it all makes sense to me now Mm. that as I care for those parts in me that in the past I thought was more relevant for today. And it was really about just this invitation to go back and heal wounds that still felt true today. Like I didn't have anyone to talk to or that nobody would understand or all those things that I would believe.
2: I really love that Candice. And we talked in one of our early episodes, I Seems like it might have been number four. I'm not sure about the four S's and how we all are longing to be seen, soothed, safe and secure by another person and how we needed that as children and 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 how we need it still. And these young places need to be seen, soothed, safe and secure. And that's what you did. You brought the four S's toward that, that younger part of you that was needing something big. And you saw her well, and were able to see the effects of the kindness that you showed to your own soul in that moment. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And as I slowed down and went through that process, I did see her, I saw some specific things about why she would feel that way and it just brought so much understanding and kindness towards my own self like there was there was a time in her life that she really did need someone to talk to it's just life changing i don't know how to say it yeah yeah it's beautiful thanks for sharing that so what about you i know you've had some stuff recently that yeah. you've put some of your tools into practice
2: A few things that I use regularly are I move my body, but I don't run, but I rock. I will rock. I'll find myself rocking a lot. I've even found recently that humming really effectively calms my vagus nerve. So those are two things that I use uh, more and more. And something that I use, this is my first go-to now all the time, and that is breathing. I breathe because breathing helps me stay present. And when I am present, I can be aware. I haven't moved toward hypoarousal or hyperarousal, but I'm able to stay in the window of tolerance or maybe on the edges of it, but I'm able to stay there and stay aware and then begin asking myself, what am I feeling in my body? So breathing is is my first go-to always, but something that I've just learned in the last several weeks that I have used several times that I am finding very effective is the use of art. And and by art, I mean, literally stick figures, drawings that I do in less than three minutes. About a week ago, I had to have some lab work done and I went in to get the draw and they literally couldn't hit a vein. And I have hard veins to hit. I know that. And I gave them the heads up use your best, bring your best person, you know, do in. And so but it ended up being that they tried several times and couldn't get a vein. I was very dysregulated by that. And the the whole situation was just um, had me really spinning. As a matter of fact, I I met with the pearls that day, I think, and and you all helped me come down because I was really dysregulated. I had to go back today to it and I went to a different place and had it done. But as I was getting ready, I, I drove there and I felt calm and I was breathing and I was doing my techniques and I felt really good about it. And I parked the car and the minute I stepped out of the car, I got this severe pain in my neck, which is where I will. I will often feel that pain, that's become a really good indicator for me that, oh, I'm being dysregulated. I was able to immediately just stop. And I did a little bit of breathing. I put my hand on my heart. I spoke to my younger parts and I just said, "We're, we're okay. I was able to go in and go through the procedure and it was just completely wonderful. But when I came home, I was really curious about that pain in the neck that that popped up. And so I made a little space. And I I'm very well acquainted with my little girl. And I just asked her if she wanted to show me because sometimes she doesn't have words, show me what is so hard about medical things. And immediately, a picture came to my mind, which I drew. And I want to just explain it real quickly. It's a very simple drawing that I did in about two minutes or less. And it's my mom holding me on like a wooden chair. And she has me really on the edge of her knee, not close up to her, but, but on the edge of her knee. And I'm very little. And then across the room is the nurse holding like this huge syringe. And what came to me is that I am saying, no, no. And my mom is laughing, Mm. and the nurse is laughing and says, This won't hurt a bit. And Mm. I drew her with this really long Pinocchio nose. Now, this came up immediately when I made space. I drew it, like I said, in two minutes or less. And it's very profound for me because. I do not have a conscious memory of this happening. Mm-hmm. But based on the picture, I know I was very, very young. And whether I'm consciously aware of it or not, I do believe it happened. And I do believe that it's entirely possible mm-hmm. that it happened. It's not hard for me at all to believe that it did happen. So being able to allow that to come forward in a picture that I was able then to, and this would just happen today, that I was able to draw near to my younger parts and just say like, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense now. And I could bring love to them. I could I could bring the four S's to them and tell them that I believe them. And I know that it's true. And I'm going to take care of them and be even more careful about who I entrust my medical procedures to and to make sure that the people are highly qualified and to use my voice to get the, the best person that's available. And all of those things that sometimes I, I don't tend to do right away, but now I'm I'm able to say like, no, we have trauma here and Going forward, I'm I'm going to take better care so that the possibility is there to go through it without any dysregulation or as much dysregulation.
1: Yeah, that's so good, Cher. I it takes time to slow down and do that inner child work locating those parts of us that still need healing, the wounded parts. And I think there was a time in my life that I didn't want to take the time to do it. And now I can't afford not to take the time to do it. If, if I want to begin to show up differently based on what's true today, because a lot of, uh, you know, in those younger places, there are messages associated with the trauma that we went through that were true at the time but aren't true today. That slowing down is where we're able to pull our you know, little to us and be able to see from our adult self more clearly.
2: It's so good. And it's just kind of making the full circle from where we started at the beginning of our last previous session where we talked about the difference between the prefrontal cortex and the limbic brain mm-hmm. and how often through our lives we have tried to power through our trauma yeah in our prefrontal cortex and you know pull it up and do the right thing mm-hmm. and yet how we just haven't always been able to do that or do it very well understanding the limbic brain and the vagus nerve and and having these tools available in our toolbox changes everything and has literally changed our lives. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I do want to encourage our listeners, there are many ways that we can calm the vagus nerve. There are, and you can find those like if you look it up, we're just talking about a few of them today, but there are several ways that we can do that. And, and isn't that great news? Like we are not at the mercy of our limbic brain or our vagus nerve or, or our trauma, you know, we're not at the mercy of our trauma. There, there are ways that we can show up for ourselves and do this healing work. And that's what we're doing. Yes. Yeah. Oh,
2: so good to be with you today you too, Candice. Great topic. And I hope that it's super helpful to our listeners to just move more into practical things that they also can do that can be life
1: changing. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Love you, friend. Love you too.
0: Thank you for listening to Processing Trauma Out Loud. Make sure to check out the show notes for links to suggested resources and social media. Like, subscribe, and follow to keep up with our weekly content. And if you don't mind, take a moment to rate and review us. Your feedback is extremely valuable and contributes to the success of this podcast. Music was created by Caleb Paxton, and our sound engineer is Jeremiah Jones of Story LLC. We welcome you to join us for more conversations soon. Take care.